0: we're going to just um keep going we're we're in exodus for, i don't know who is um keeping up with the uh the teachings in this series and who's new um i never really know exactly where everybody is with everything but uh we're we're in exodus and we're looking at we're looking at the exodus um the actual the actual leaving of of egypt We talked last time um, about the, uh, we were kind of spending most of our time, I think, last time in in Exodus 12. And Exodus 12 is, um, it's the Passover, it's the, there's so many things in Exodus 12. You know, I was tempted to. Um, I was tempted to just read a, a couple chapters here of Exodus. You know, and, and let me just say, let me say this while it's on my mind. It was, I was on my mind earlier. I just want to encourage you guys to, um, this may sound kind of like something you heard when you were a kid, but I, <laughs> I want to encourage you to read the Old Testament. Um, I, I I talk to folks a lot and um, sometimes I I'm, i'm I'm assuming when I'm going through this class that people are pretty familiar with these stories and sometimes that's not the case and uh and and if I ask people sometimes you know why why don't why don't you you know why aren't you familiar with this and a lot of people sometimes say to me uh you know i I just don't really understand much of the Old Testament I don't read much but um i I give these little plugs every once in a while like maybe once a year or something like that but I want to give another one tonight read read the Old Testament. Read it a lot and don't worry about whether or not you're understanding it or seeing Christ in it. Just read it. You know, it's the Spirit's uh, job and delight to reveal Christ, to open the eyes of our understandings. I read, I, I read the Old Testament and I don't um, always see um the, the things that I try to share in these classes. A lot of times I just or, or I listen to it. Actually there's there's all kinds of audio Bible things on cell phones now, which are great. <clears throat> Get a pretty literal, you know, nice translation of something, you know, something like the New American Standard, New King James. And uh and just listen to it. And and if you're if you're not putting it into your ears, then it's kind of hard for the Spirit of God to open up those words and testimonies and pictures and show it to your heart, you know? So um I just think it's a really good idea to just always be kinda of reading through the reading through I mean the entire Bible, but it seems like Christians read the New Testament uh a decent amount, but um the the old testament sometimes gets gets left behind. I i um i i i personally just keep i just kind of always am reading through it or listening to it and uh and it seems like it just things just little by little piece by piece as the spirit of as my heart is open and the spirit of God does it in me things start to make sense, but I don't get worried about if i don't see i could go. 10 chapters in a row not see a single thing but but you know those chapters are now in my mind uh, for when the Lord wants to breathe on those things and make them real in me so I say that just because like exodus 12 13 14 I know there's they're just so rich um and there's so much in them I'm gonna actually read a little bit of, if I get to it tonight a little bit of a chunk of exodus 14 just because there's several things kind of all all stuck together but this is a a god designed and uh, and, and and um yeah d- designed and um what's the word I'm trying to think i'm trying to trying to say uh he, he designed it and, and he did it he 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 played it out uh it's it's a picture of his understanding of What salvation is and how he accomplished it. It's not just a bunch of stories. There was a ton. There was a ton of things that happened in Israel that were not written down in the Bible and were not preserved by the Holy Spirit. The things that are written down in in this book were preserved by the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us plainly in Corinthians, they were written down for our admonition, and and we have to. well, we have to understand that and we have to go there with hearts that are wanting to see beyond the testimony to the spiritual fulfillment. And that's exactly what the Lord will do with you. He won't do it all at once. It'll be little pieces at a time. Little things will start to stand out to you. Those things will be kind of grouped together in your heart and added to other things that are, you know, it, it comes together kind of piece by piece. But what it is, isn't a, a natural mind understanding of a bunch of uh, pictures. It's uh uh it's God's understanding and testimony of his own son unfolding in your heart. If the spirit has his way with you, that's exactly what's gonna happen as you read through these things. So um I just I just every once in a while I like to do that just because um it's not helping you at all not to read the old testament, you know. It's not really even helping you just to wait till I tell you what I think I I've seen, although I can point to what what I've seen i can I can try to tell you where to dig, but you're still gonna have to let the spirit deal with your heart and, and those scriptures too so 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 uh it's a really smart thing to do um, okay so <clears throat> we said last time in Exodus twelve that God is not trying to paint a picture here of of a huge punishment of bad guys um, that you know, people read the Old Testament and they look and and you ask them what's going on here, and it's well, God seems kind of mad and he's taking out his anger on Pharaoh and Egypt. No, uh, that's definitely not. If God was just trying to show you a picture of, of of punishment, he could have done that with one big explosion i mean he could have just he could have left out the staff being lifted up and the rivers turning to blood and the snake staff eating up the other snakes and the lamb that's slain and and eaten in its entirety and, and the unleavened bread and the he could have left out every there, there's so much in here that if god was trying to show that he's a god of social justice and was trying to rescue israelites from bad people then uh well that's just that's just not what's going on here. Then he then there's a whole bunch of superfluous details that have nothing to do with that picture, and 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 that's not what he's doing. He, not only is he not showing us a picture of, of of punishing sin, he's not showing us a picture of rescuing um, good people either. That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit either, um, because first of all, they weren't that good. They, 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 in fact, they naturally speaking, they were no different than than I, I, the Egyptians. He he didn't he didn't select Israel because they were a different breed of Adamic humans. He selected them. To, because in them, in one natural seed, he was painting a picture, giving us types and shadows and prophecies and promises and oracles and laws, all of which pointed to a spiritual seed. He's making a, a division, he's making a distinction between Israel and Egypt, that's absolutely true, but not because one is... is, is are really bad people and another are really good people. In fact, God goes out of his way to tell Israel over and over again throughout the entire Old Testament. That's not the case. But how many times in Deuteronomy, before they go into the land, he keeps telling them, look, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to show my might and my glory through you, I'm going to cast out these people, but don't think for one minute it's because you're a righteous people or because you're better than them in any way because you're not. You're a stiff-necked, rebellious people. And I know that even after I get you in the land, you're going to rebel against me. I mean he he just says it like that and then and then you go through the prophets and 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 the prophets say you know Isaiah I'm going to send you to Ezekiel Jeremiah I'm going to send you to the people of Israel and they're not going to listen to you you know and in some cases uh the, the Lord says if I were to send you to another people they would probably listen to you but not my people my my people in, in the beginning of Isaiah he says a donkey knows its owner and is faithful to him but my people have rejected their god and, uh, and, and so I'm not trying to say that the Jews are any worse than the Egyptians or the Jews are any worse than the Babylonians. I'm just trying to say that what God's doing, Israel was is very, very, very special, but it was special as a testimony. It's special not because of what they were inherently in themselves, but because of the way that God chose them and used them to testify of a, of something that was truly special, that is truly special. That is Christ, the true seed. Galatians three sixteen, three nineteen. The seed to whom all the promises were made. The seed, not seeds, as as though speaking to many, but seed, as though speaking to one. That is Christ. Galatians three sixteen. The the specialness, the uniqueness of Israel is the way that God used Israel. The thing that God was testifying about. The pictures of Christ and a people in Christ relating to the Father in the Son. That's what was, and, and then, and then of course the victory and the kingdom and the priesthood and all of that came to be visible, uh, as a testimony in the earth through Israel. But, but, uh, I, I just say that because there's a whole lot of hubbub going around in the world today, um especially since, uh, since, uh, Israel became a nation again, where people are talking as though, well, to put it exactly opposite as, uh, opposite that, than Paul put it, as though there is Jew and Gentile in Christ and there is you know slave and free and there is blood that makes a bloodlines that make a difference and no that was never the case god's heart was single it was fixed on his son he he chose a natural seed to Bear the types and shadows of what he was, of his eternal purpose in that seed, and then he started bringing people into that seed and joining them to that seed by baptizing them into death, and raising them up in the newness of life. That's exactly, friends. That is exactly what the Exodus is showing us a picture about. That, that's what we looked at. We looked at last time in Exodus chapter twelve that God established in this. Testimony, a not a, not a not a picture of rescue, not a picture of punishment, but a picture of division. That's what he's doing. He's making a clean, eternal cut, a boundary between. Israel and Egypt, between life and death between in covenant and out of covenant between in Christ and in Adam between flesh and spirit he's drawing this eternal boundary uh, in some ways represented by the door with blood on it in some ways represented by the red sea that the that the Egyptians could not cross he's drawing he's making this perfect chasm uh, which is the cross between one side and another one side was slavery death and darkness and 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 separation uh from God all through the cross because at every single one of the judgments the staff the cross was lifted up and all of the judgments came out of the staff in fact the 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 sea as we'll, we'll talk about today the sea is going to part because of that staff too the sea the cross opens up that sea and causes one people to be able to pass through and another people to be well, because they didn't die in the Lamb, they couldn't pass through that sea. They couldn't be baptized into that sea, which is what Paul says again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, but, so so what's going on here is uh, there's a division, and on one side there's slavery and darkness and death and, 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 and destruction. And on the other side, there's life and covenant and heaven is on the other side of that division. Heaven, not a, a, as... A, uh, not as a future physical geographical location, but as a spiritual reality and relationship. Uh, but there's there's victory. There's a kingdom on, on on one side. There's another kingdom on the other side, but it's a kingdom of death and slavery and sin. And and so what what God is trying to show us here, if if we have eyes to see it, is the difference between the two, and and how, how a human soul gets from one side to the other. Now, the, the church will tell you, how do you get from death to life? You ask Jesus to forgive you from your sins. And, 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 and there is truth to the forgive, obviously, the forgiveness of sins is wonderful, but that's not how they got out of Egypt. God didn't say, okay guys, Here's the last plague. I'm going to kill the firstborn of Egypt and you guys all get down on your knees and confess your sins. And when you do, I'll pick you up and take you out. You know, that's not what he did. They didn't get out through forgiveness. They got out of death. Through death. The way out of the land of sin and death was through entering into a death, being baptized into a death, being crucified with Christ, being buried with Him. They, they killed a lamb, they put the lamb on, they smeared the dead lamb on their door as a picture of going into that death. They went in and then they ate the entire dead lamb. And, and, and so, Just clear pictures of not Jesus dying instead of them, but but them entering into Jesus' death. And what a huge difference. Not Jesus dying so that they don't have to, but Jesus becoming the death that they all needed to eat. They all needed. And then there's life on the other side, but the life on the other side isn't them coming back it's not i but christ who lives in me they come out as israel is my son even my firstborn you see that's what's going on i'm just i more or less just quoting the different things from from these two or three chapters but uh but that's what's going on here the 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 church i believe makes a mistake in making um salvation about uh for, primarily about forgiveness of sin and not about death that is unto life and the, the problem with that isn't, isn't that forgiveness isn't a part of it, because there is forgiveness in Christ. Once you're in Christ, then there's forgiveness of sin. I mean, in, in him you have redemption and forgiveness of sin. That's where their forgiveness is. It's in Christ. But you don't get in through just having bad things washed away. You get in through... Having that entire old man put to death and receiving a new life, being born of a new spirit, being born uh, again and entering into the kingdom of God. And then uh, forgiveness is part of that covenant. And it's a wonderful, real thing. And, and God is not, there's no more condemnation in Christ. And all that's great in Christ. But what you see here is a people... Dying in a lamb. And they're, they're, they're considered dead by God because when the, the, the destructor, destroyer, what's it called, the destroyer comes to Egypt to kill the firstborn, they're, they're already dead and it, it passes over their houses. And we talked about that last time and I'm, i I mean, I didn't say all of that last time, but I'm kind of reviewing. I just, uh, I, 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 um, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, the unleavened bread tonight, but I it just unleavened bread is the consequence of Passover. In other words, the reason that there can be a new loaf that's totally free of leaven is only because they have participated in the Passover. In fact, Paul says that. Let me just look at this. I'm just getting ahead of myself, but this is such a cool verse. Um, Let's see here. It's in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. He says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of purity and truth. I'll get to that verse more later, but what I like about that is it's it's saying because Christ was sacrificed, you guys are an unleavened loaf. It's because Christ offered this death, because Christ bore in himself that when one died, all died. When I am lifted up, I draw all men unto myself. Because Christ bore that death, then there could be an absolute new creation. Something, a, a, a death that is unto life, where where none of the old passes over into the new. And so, the, the very first thing—it's interesting because Exodus chapter 12, you know, the whole thing happens with the lamb, and they go in, and and everyone in Egypt is screaming because there's a firstborn dead in every house, and Mo, and, and and Moses is, is sent a, a, a message from Pharaoh saying, "Get out, get out, take everyone and get out," and it's this total chaos. And you'd think that the next chapter, chapter 13, would be. Um, would be about them going out or maybe about Pharaoh's armies chasing them in the parting of the Red Sea but it's not the the next chapter after all this stuff is is these uh, these these comments by God about primarily about two things about the firstborn belonging to him and about the the feast of unleavened bread and You know, I guess the natural mind says, well, couldn't you just get them out first and then start talking to them about that stuff in the wilderness? And I I can picture the Lord saying, no, that's, that is what going out is all about. This is not about, again, this is not about a rescue mission. This is about creating the firstborn out from among, begetting a new man out from a blood covered door, a womb of death. It's about a, a door opening up and out of it coming the first thing that ever left the realm of death. Do you understand that's exactly what Jesus did? And he, he, he entered into the human, to the Adamic world. He entered, he became sin and death and a curse and yet He, he, he travailed, the, the, he, he, in this womb of death, in this tomb covered by a rock, suddenly opened up, and the first thing that had ever gone into that condition came out. Came out of that condition, and he wasn't alone. He was the firstborn, but he was attached to a, to many brethren. He brought many to glory. He was the firstborn among many brethren. He was the head; they were the body. They came out, they came out as one. But he was the fir- he was the one that God put His seal on and said, "That one's mine. He's mine, and everyone that belongs to him is mine too." But because they belong to him, the firstborn is mine, and that's. And that's what God did in the resurrection of Christ, but he did it first in types and shadows right here. He He brings this terrible death of, of Adam, this great uh, judgment of the firstborn of Adam, and the result of it is the resurrection of a new man. He puts to death the firstborn of um, of Egypt, and, and, and that pays the price of the firstborn of, of Israel coming out from among the dead. You see what I'm saying? He, he crucifies in Christ the, the wrong man and then raises up in Christ a new man. One new man, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, but Christ all and in all. And the, the reason that they belong to the, the reason that they belong, <laughs> I just love this, the reason that they belong to God is because they, be, because God claims the first bo- he says that's my son that's my son now there's psalms that are kind of confusing if if you if you don't remember there's psalms that say this is my son. he has said to me this is my son today i have begotten you and 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 jehovah's witnesses or whoever take or mormons or i don't know maybe both take those kind of scriptures and they say see jesus had a beginning it's not talking about just the eternal word christ it's talking about the birth the resurrection the birth of this corporate new man jesus as the head of this corporate body he as as the second person of the trinity he has always existed he's been with the father the radiance of his glory the the, the word that was with god and was god and all of that but but going into death taking a a, a people into his death there goes the firstborn of Egypt. Bringing out a people in his resurrection, there, there, there goes the firstborn of Israel. God looks down and says, It's mine. That's, that belongs to me. It's, it's paid the price of redemption. It's put away all sin and iniquity from my sight forever. That's my son. And everything that's joined to him, it, it goes wherever he goes. This is, this is reminiscent of Jesus saying, Father, I desire that they be with me where I am. Where were you? Well, I was with you in, in glory before the world ever was. I want them to be there with me, but I have to prepare though, I have to prepare a place for them. I have to open up the way. I have to become that, that Passover lamb that, that causes this people to be able to go into the blood-covered door and come out in the resurrected lamb. I have to do that first. So he says, look, guys, I know you're going to be sad for a few days here. I'm going away. I'm coming right back. He wasn't talking about thousands of years later. I'm coming right back. You will see me, speaking to men right in front of his face. You will see me again, and when you see me, you'll understand. You'll be glad in that day. You'll see that I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you, and we're all we're all one. We're all one in, in him. And, and that's what he accomplishes. But, uh, but what my point is with the firstborn is that, that, that God, God has had in his eternal plan and purpose a way to exalt his eternal son as the firstborn from among the dead, the head of a new body, the, the priest of a, of a priesthood the king of a kingdom but all of that came out from the dead all of it came out from the dead and so um throughout the history of the old testament you'll see this emphasis put on the firstborn and and and, and again as i often say the understanding of the shadow is the revelation of the substance, or you could say the understanding of the old testament is the revelation of the new covenant or the new or or, or the spiritual reality well, do you understand what i mean by that i i i don't, that maybe sounds a little bit cryptic what I'm trying to say is if you looked at a shadow on the wall it could probably be one of 10 different things you know it, it may kind of looks like a person it could i guess it could be a chimp you know maybe it's just a statue I, whatever and, and but the 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 seeing of the substance is going to define the shadow right you 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 see the the living substance and suddenly you don't have to guess anymore when you look at the the shadow and say i think that is a chimpanzee you know i'm not sure what that is um, the guessing goes away in the light of the revelation of the substance it's the same way with types and shadows in the scripture you you start to see the substance the person the reality and then the shadows start to make so much sense and that's you'll understand that that's why god set up this thing about firstborns in in the old testament he didn't have to do it. He could have picked thirdborns, you know, he could have he could have not even talked about the order or whatever. But he did. He set it up in the natural creation to, to parallel, to testify of, to illustrate something that was going to come to be a spiritual reality. What's that spiritual reality? The one that opens the womb, the first one out of the womb. The first one to come out and take a, a breath of life. That's the one that receives everything that the father has and and, it, and maybe it seems a little unfair in some of the stories too because you know what, what's wrong with so and so or you know he seems like a nicer guy than the firstborn but 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 the firstborn gets the inheritance I mean there's a few examples where the or someone else took the inheritance like Jacob and Esau or uh, Reuben uh, lost his right of firstborn and it was given to Joseph because he did some on slightly things, but um, the 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 point is that God sets up this pattern, and he, and here's 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 the pattern. Uh, how do I say it? Let me let me. Okay, here's the pattern. Man, if if I can just speak really bluntly, man plants a seed in a woman. That seed comes out head first. Connected to a body, but that seed comes out as the firstborn, and, and it receives all that the father passes on to him. All that the father has promised. All that the father wants to give to a son. Okay, there's the pattern. You see it again, so that's how you see it in the natural creation. Then if you look at the the creation of Israel and God's types and shadows there, God plants a seed in Egypt. Joseph the first one that goes in of his of his people or you could say it's same thing you could say the same thing in Abraham there's a bunch of different pictures of it i'm just going to deal with joseph here god plants a seed with joseph then there's many that are joined to joseph in that place and then all of a sudden god opens up this bloody door and out comes joseph i mean he came out too remember joseph's bones were carried in the midst of the people but attached to an enormous body Israel, my son. Well, what are both of these a picture of? The father, the father sends the son into the world as a dying seed, and there he goes. He goes into this place. Uh, it, you know, it'd be a miracle if he could ever get out of there. You know, he, he especially the fact that he's becoming sin, becoming death, becoming a curse. He's he's becoming a serpent on a staff. He'll never get out of it. You know, and, and so many are. He's, and not, not only does does he become a curse in himself, he swallows up all the other. Curses too. He he takes it all upon himself. He's the staff that became a serpent that swallowed up all the magicians' serpents too. He he took all of it onto himself, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he comes out. He comes out of debt. The, the 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 tomb. The, the the round rock in front of the tomb rolls out of the way, um, and and out of this death out of this judgment comes comes the firstborn of many brethren uh, he he opens the door of uh, of death and and brings the captives out attached to him joined to him and all these pictures are um i don't know they they're just when you Again, when you start to see the spiritual reality behind these things, then you can understand why God stops the narration of the historical Exodus for, for, for 50 verses or so, or whatever, I don't know, and, and, and Exodus 13, and starts talking about, okay, before you guys even leave, let's get something straight. The firstborn belongs to me. And everything from now on in this people that I'm establishing as my testimony, everything is going to follow the same rule. Okay, The firstborn of man is, is mine. And the firstborn of every animal, it's mine too. And the firstborn, he goes through all these different things and he says, they're all mine. And, and later, and this gets a little bit complicated, but we'll get to this eventually. He, he switches the firstborn. He allows the Levites to play the role of the firstborn of Israel. And, 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 and you kind of got to read ahead a little bit in Exodus to, to, to see how he does that. But, um, point is, he, he wants them to understand the reason that they're alive is because they're alive in the firstborn. The reason that they're his people is because they're his people in the firstborn. In fact, they are part of his gift to his son. They're, they're the thing in, they're the, they're the land in which he's going to be glorified as a king. They're, they're the corporate priesthood in which he is going to purify a holy nation. They're the bride that is going to sit and, 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 and And be with him in union for the rest of eternity. They're the ones through whom his seed is going to have its increase. They're—I mean—they're the thing that, um, not in their natural condition, that that wouldn't be much of a present. But what he does in them, what he does through them, what he does to them, how he allows Christ to. Be the relationship, be the reign and the government that works in them. Be the increase of the sea within them. How he ma- he magnifies his son in this people, and he calls that thing that he calls that thing Israel, my son. The whole thing today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will give you the nations, and they'll be your inheritance. You know these psalms, so um okay i'm kind of all over the place here in my notes um so god takes this people out of of egypt and they're all one body they're all one son obviously i'm not saying for those of you might be new i'm not saying that we become christ but i am saying christ lives in us and we experience his life if we are joined to him there's one corporate there's the body of christ The firstborn represents Christ and the one in whom the relationship exists. Okay? So, and we're going to see a whole bunch of, and I'm excited to get there. It's a little ways away. It's not till Leviticus, but we're going to see a whole, a whole collection of, um, of ways that the, um, that Christ, as the head of this body, defines the relationship. And that's what we're going to see in the Levites. We're going to see in the Levitical priesthood, which is, you know, the picture of Christ's priesthood or his high priestly ministry. We're going to see the way that a, a whole group of people um, relate to the Father through this one head. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah, there's so much there. I'm not going to try to touch touch that. Let, let me try to say a few things here in the time we have left about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um. So, what... Immediately, <clears throat> upon um, going <sighs> into that door... Remember I read that verse last week of Deuteronomy 16, verse 6, I think it was. Verse 1 and then verse 6... Where God says that they went out of Egypt, A historically inaccurate, spiritually totally accurate uh, statement of God's, where He says, "I'm just going to read it real, real quick here." Deuteronomy 16 it says, "Observe the month of Abib." <clears throat> And keep the Passover to the Lord your God, for in the month of Abib the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And then in verse six it says, "But at uh, well, verse five, you shall you may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates which the Lord has given you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make His name abide, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt." Now again, I, I say it's historically inaccurate, uh, in, in, in that they didn't actually leave the, the territory of Egypt at, at, at night. What they did is they went into the door at night. But from God's point of view, as soon as they were baptized into Christ's death, they were gone. They were no longer a part of that land. That's why they could walk out. That's why they could cross the Red Sea. That's why they couldn't be stopped. That's why they could plunder the Egyptians. That's why all of that could happen is because, um, i it, it's because of, uh, the fact that as far as God was concerned, they left uh, that night, twilight, at the shedding of the blood, at the going into the door. That's when they did that. So at at that time, the, the, the going into Christ was both, and this is what I'm trying to point out with the unleavened bread, it was both a change of place and a change of nature. Or there was a transformation of where they... Mm, Where, where they truly dwelled and a transformation of what they really were. And it happened right, it happened right away. It happened with the Passover because the, as soon as they go into that door, they are both out of Egypt from God's perspective and they are an unleavened Loaf of bread. They're not just, they're not a leavened loaf anymore. They're an unleavened loaf. So there's a change. It's the same change that we find when we're baptized into Christ too. We're immediately of a different place or realm. We're from above. We're born in Zion. We're raised up and seated with Christ. We're, you know, all those scriptures that speak of an immediate change of, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, uh, of the son of his love. There's an immediate, uh, change of the world to which we belong to. And then there's also a complete change in nature. You are dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. So, and this, this dead to sin business, and now that doesn't mean that you experience that, that liberty from sin or death to sin. You experience that, that finished work to the measure that light, truth, causes what's real to God to become real to your soul that that walking in the light you have the fellowship with him in what's real um, but that's another that's for another time the point is that God is that the as soon as passover is done the very next day is seven days a complete you know a complete work of unleavened bread a a people that had been transformed Translated as to their uh, location and, and transformed as to their very constitution, and you know, and and God uses some pretty pretty interesting pictures here um, of uh, well, I, I I think it's interesting. I don't know much about Levin. I always say that when I talk about this, but I, I, one of these days I should just look up on Wikipedia. All the facts about leaven, and maybe there'd be some interesting ones. I don't know, but I, I know that, that leaven's like alive, right? It's like some kind of a bacteria or something like that. Whatever it is, you put it in a loaf, and as soon as it's in that loaf, there's it. It's, it fills the whole thing. It, it grows. It causes the whole loaf to actually, actually grow, and and not only that, as soon as it's in there, it's impossible to separate. The only way to get rid of the, the yeast, the the, yev- the leaven, is to get rid of the loaf. You can't just go through there with a pair of tweezers and, and a magnifying glass, and, and and pick out the yeast. It, it changes the constitution of the bread, and and it's just just big one you know a lump of growing stuff and 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 I think I just think it's interesting that that's the that's the of all the things in the natural creation that God could have used to paint pictures of sin I mean he could have used um, I don't know like a, uh, a a scorpion maybe maybe he does I don't know but uh I mean but he, he in this in this in this picture and, and in a lot of other places throughout the old testament The thing that he chose to, um, you know, to to represent sin wasn't—it wasn't just like slime or or vomit or something, you know, gross. It was this living thing that 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 actually fills up bread, grows in it, and is indistinguishable from it. In such a to such a degree that the only way to get rid of the sin is to get rid of the lump. You have to act, you just throw it away, you know? You can't, you can't get it out. It's unsalvageable. So, so you have to actually crucify the whole lump to get rid of the sin and, and have a totally new lump made that doesn't have any sin in it. And a, a new loaf that's totally dead to sin, a, a, a new loaf that doesn't have any relation to sin. In, in fact, this is what Christ Christ comes out of the grave. He appeared once to become sin. He brought that sin into the grave, and then he appeared again. This is Hebrews chapter 9. He appeared again unto salvation without reference to sin. You know that verse? Most people try to make that an end times verse. It is, it is decidedly not an end, an end times thing. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, he, he, he appears, let's see here. So Christ also, 928. So Christ also having bared, uh, having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. It really appears. Let me pull up the literal version here, I think yeah literally will be seen a second time by those awaiting him apart from sin or some translations say without reference to sin unto salvation okay so he's seen once as the sacri- as the lamb that dies he's seen he's seen once as the end um the, the the end of sin he's seen once as a big leavened loaf that goes into the fire he's seen again as the salvation of all who will eat him and and it has no there's no more leaven and so there's a there's a change um there's a change in place there's a change in in nature and god so so okay so what is god what is god painting a picture of here with this by bringing a people out of Egypt, he's he's bringing a loaf, his own loaf, out of the realm of sin. He's bringing it out of that location and changing its nature, and and that's why in, in Exodus thirteen, we're not going to get too far, I guess tonight. That's why in Exodus thirteen, he he tells them they need to always celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. In Exodus thirteen seven. He says, um, well, let's go back to even 12. He says it in 12 too, not quite the same, but in 12.17 he says, So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this same day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. So you're, here's the reason why you have to celebrate, observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Why? What's the reason, guy? Why does it have to be today? Because this day corresponds to me bringing you out of a land of sin and death and slaves, separating you, completely, uh, breaking your ties with that, uh, that realm, that, that government. In Exodus thirteen seven, he says, unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you. Uh, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all of your quarters. So, not just in the bread, I mean, the, the feast of unleavened bread, they had to, you know, they swept it out of their, uh, their, their house and their cupboards and everything. In fact, there was this little tradition they did with a lantern where they go searching throughout the whole house for any speck of leaven and, and um in verse 8 it says, and you shall tell your son in that day saying, this is done, you know, a couple hundred years later, why are we doing this? Well, I'll tell you, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. So. The reason I'm quoting these verses is because God is directly correlating the feast of unleavened bread with this division, with this bringing out, with this separation from Egypt. What is the leaven, what is the bread that no longer has leaven in it? What is the bread that's completely free from leaven represent? It represents a complete division. It represents a completely new loaf taken out of of a world of, of death. Separating the lump from the leaven. Separating the soul from sin from the adamic man leaving egypt and its leaven behind forever sanctifying separating first christ it, its its first christ experience he is the lamb and then it's our experience as those who enter into the lamb and so and so and so christ says in john 17 they are not of the world just as i am not of the world <coughs> and for their sakes I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in the truth. And, um, it's, it's interesting to me that, that this is at the end of Exodus 12, actually, but, um, it says, Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all of his servants, um, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. And then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, "Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds, and as you have said, and go and bless me also." And the Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, "We will all be dead." And really, it's uh, we are all we are all dead. Or all of us are dying. One translation says in the literal. Another one says all of us are dead. But anyway, I like the, I like the literal better there because I think that's kind of what God's trying to point out. Like you're among the dead. Get out from among the dead. You don't belong here anymore. You know, leave the land of death. You're, you, it's not your home. Um, but uh, okay, so so the pe- No, no he, so God says. I mean, uh, uh, Pharaoh says, get, "Rise up, get out from among my people." The, 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 all the Egyptians say, get out, we're all dead. And this is what happens. The people, this is, and this is so weird. Remember in the beginning when I said, if God was just trying to rescue a people or punish a bad people or whatever, th- 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 these details would be completely superfluous. And none more than, than this. Okay? Get out of Egypt. And so what do they do? So the people take the dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes and on their shoulders and and and, and that's how they go out. They they also pillage the this is where they asked the Egyptians for articles of silver or gold and clothing that they used to build the tabernacle, but they go out in the sight of the Egyptians carrying unleavened bread and kneading bowls vessels with a completely new substance in it. A completely new loaf with something uh, conspicuously absent. Leaven. Sin. A new creation coming out. And, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm out of time here. I'll stop with that. But, uh, there's, there's, there's a few other verses I may bring into this, I guess, and then we'll get into Exodus 14 next time. All right. I'll stop there and see if there's comments or.